everyone and welcome to the Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host Romy Adair and in this podcast we get into the nitty gritty parts and experiences that are often had during the journey to become a professional dancer. Chatting to dancers in training and professional from all around the world creating one safe space that can be shared by many. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. We have a little sponsorship interlude, if that's how you say it. Um, This episode is proudly sponsored by Imperfect Points, future-friendly ballet wear, the UK's first sustainable dancewear brand which aims to create diverse, stylish leotards and tights, whatever colour, gender or ability you are with a minimum impact on the planet. Now, if that doesn't sound good to you, then I honestly don't know what does. I love Imperfect Points. I now have three leotards from them and I'm super happy with them. And I actually will kind of do a showing on my Instagram account if you guys will be interested and you want to kind of see the leotards on. I want to talk through them and stuff like that. Anyway, you can go to imperfectpoints.com to check them out now. And without further ado, let's get on into the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined with Suvi Honkanen. Hi, Suvi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm excellent. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Good. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this episode. Um, I'm sure the listeners will, if they don't have an idea of like who you are, I'm sure they've read your work essentially um <laughs> so let's get straight on into the episode um Great. talking about you and I guess a little bit about your journey to where you are now yeah. um so when you know what age did you start ballet when did you or dance you know I don't or mm-hmm. when, and then when did you kind of have that moment of thinking you want to take it I guess to the next step decide to go into a more professional environment um and then kind of turning it into a career and then from that what did you do after that yeah um so I started pretty young my mom had a ballet school or a dance school um so I started in her class when I was honestly like three four years old and then around around the age of five six somewhere around there it became sort of a bit more serious I joined um, like a special training program in Helsinki and I actually don't remember a specific moment that I thought that um, I want to do this professionally I, I felt that it was always something that I knew I would do I didn't even question it or I didn't have one of one of those moments where I had to decide okay I either stop or I keep going it was just, this is what I'm going to do. I knew from a very young age that I want to be a dancer. I always said I want to be a dancer. So yeah, I continued dancing and obviously it became more and more serious, uh, competitions, performances, and I trained in Baganova uh, for one year. I was, I think, 16 when I moved there. And then straight after that, I got an apprentice contract from Finnish National Ballet, which is where I danced for nine years professionally. Yeah, I was an apprentice for, I can't remember how many years, but eventually I got in the main company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, yeah, that must have been interesting. Um, So essentially you only did 
like one year of professional school mm-hmm. um was that weird so young to then join like a big company and yeah it's to you know because you're still so young there's still so much at 16 or 17 that you haven't experienced that you then have to kind of become an adult yeah yeah I joined when I was 17 which is pretty young it was definitely a huge adjustment and I think the most difficult part of it was all of those unspoken rules that you just don't know if you don't know and um I think it would have been very helpful if if uh, it was a bit more clear and if someone was there to kind of guide you, mm-hmm. if you, you know, you come straight from school and no idea how to do quarter ballet work. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, okay. it's a huge adjustment. I'm very lucky that I started in the same country that my family lives in. Yeah. So I wasn't at least alone in a new uh, country like yeah. many other dancers who joined um, FMB in later years. Mm. and in most companies so I can't even imagine what it's like when you have to move to the other side of the world on top of all of that so I definitely had the support of my family though they didn't of course know anything about what was going on in the ballet they couldn't help me with figuring out if I can stand at this bar or not Mm. but just knowing that my family is close by was always very important so I'm very grateful for that um yeah it was it was definitely a huge adjustment I'm sure you've talked with many dancers on this podcast about that whole um, yeah. issue with suddenly not having as much attention because uh, you're That's used to having corrections and guidance from your mm. teacher all the time and suddenly it all goes away. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I have talked about that a few times, but I still think there's like there's always room to have that conversation because... I mean, when I was at school, that was definitely mentioned. Like I did have, you know, people like, you know, when you're going to be a professional, you're not going to get the same attention. So Mm -hmm. like in our third year, it was really Mm -hmm. kind of drilled into the us to work for ourselves. Like, obviously we were still corrected, but a lot of it was, you know, they were telling you, you have to kind of become your own teacher. You have to know what's right and what's wrong in the sense of like, you know, correct technique and stuff. Yeah. And you need to be able to, I guess, like, deal with the fact that you're not always going to get like you know a teacher who's at the bar with you you know poking you here there and everywhere and telling you more turn up more turn up more like you won't get that so it's interesting because I think obviously everyone's experience of that kind of is different um so yeah how I mean how did you find that was that difficult for you um at first it was I don't know if it was difficult. Um, There was probably just pros and cons. It was also very freeing to Mm -hmm. just kind of uh, have your own little space during class. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have a problem with pushing myself. Mm -hmm. I I know many of my friends talked about this, that like it was difficult to find that motivation when you didn't have someone there. I didn't experience that, but um, I think the lack of attention, which sounds probably very narcissistic but the lack of attention was it just made me feel like I don't exist when you don't get a single correction Mm. or a single comment for weeks on end and you're just kind of like do I am I does anyone see me Mm. (laughs) so that was difficult for me 
But um, yeah, I did enjoy the the freedom that came with it. And I think I learned to listen to my body much better. Mm-hmm. And the responsibility is, it's also exciting. So there's, there was pros and cons to it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, everybody deals with it differently. Yeah. I think, you know? it, yeah, it definitely, I mean, it, every person, everyone's personality is so different. Some yeah. people really, I guess, yeah, some people need that attention to feel valid. I mean, I think actually most people as a human, we kind of crave at least acknowledgement and to not feel like you're being acknowledged in a setting where you're getting, I guess, paid as well. Like mm-hmm. you're in a situation where it's your job and to kind of go weeks and months without end, without kind of any acknowledgement would be difficult. And I mean, I've talked to people who have experienced that in school. I've experienced that Mm -hmm. in school, not for like weeks and months, but like even just for a class, like it's difficult to go into a class and know that you're wanting to give a hundred percent, but it's like, you don't get anything back in the sense of guidance or, you know, people that you look up to, to not um, give you that acknowledgement is difficult. Um, we all want to be seen. We all want to feel important and we all want to feel that we are part of something important. So I think that's a big problem with a lot of companies, big companies, and especially the corps de ballet, it wouldn't really take so much. Um, just maybe the occasional, Hey, I I saw your great arabesque in, in the, in the shades last night Mm. or anything, just a small thing. Yeah. Mm yeah exactly and yeah when you're in the court as well there's more than yeah. one it's not just you it's yeah. like there could it's be- already really hard to fact that you know the performance would be pretty much the same no matter who is standing in line yeah exactly that's the thing it's- like your job is to not stand out yeah so and you're not yeah and you're so replaceable it's yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's an interesting one um yeah I'm intrigued though kind of going back um did you when you because you said you were one year at the Vaganova did you decide after that one year like how did you get a job like do you know what I mean like how did you audition did you just send off your stuff did you say I didn't like this and I think I'm ready for like do you know what I mean no thoughts how did that happen it actually happened in a really strange way um I think it would have been better for me to stay longer in school whether whether it was Vaganova or not um they definitely because you have to audition and especially if you're a foreigner you have to audition yeah sort of every year so they were willing to let me continue there but um the director at the time at FMB uh he said that he would really like to give me a contract and of course uh, it was very intriguing you know you get mm. to go in the real world and he also said he's not going to give me a contract if I stay at Vaganova because he liked more the French style so I was very scared that I wouldn't be able to get a contract if I stayed mm. and so it was just like a I don't know <laughs> a weird yeah, moment yeah, and I was like situation. all right I guess we're an apprentice now <laughs> yeah so I'm assuming you kind of knew or had like connections with the company. yeah with FMB Previous, yeah, yeah I was in F&B. the school the Finnish Opera so Ballet school, school yeah. okay that before makes that sense. yeah before yeah. okay yeah. so before you left to go to yeah okay it's interesting um <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been an interesting experience um so let's kind of talk more so you were with FNB for nine years and then yeah you branch into something different 
Um, What was that? How did you get into it? Just, you know, tell the listeners a bit more about that. It's kind of a long story. Uh, I mean, I transitioned into writing and journalism. Um, Writing is something, writing and reading is something that I've always, always loved. Um, Since I was a little child, my mom is a writer and a researcher. So it's always been something that I've been curious about. And I love ballet. I obviously still do. Yeah. Um, I, I always did. It was my whole life. It wasn't just a job for me. It was who I am. But at some point, it started to feel limiting to me. I felt my whole identity was tied to cast lists and what other people thought of me and how, how I look and what I weigh. And yeah. it just kind of year by year began to eat eat away from me. I, I felt like I, I just wasn't happy anymore. And it, it wasn't a quick decision to do that transition. It was, it took me years and years to build up the courage to admit to myself that maybe my dream has changed. Maybe I don't dream of what I dreamt of when I was 12. Maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> there's always that fear of, are people going to think that I'm a failure? Are people going to think that I'm just weak? What are my uh, friends and relatives going to going to say? And that was a very a very relevant uh, worry of mine for a really long time. But at some point, I just I was like, you know what? Let them think what they think. It's yeah. it's my choice and yeah, it's my life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was just um, I guess a craving to do something meaningful and be meaningful in ways that didn't have anything to do with what I looked like. I was very sick and tired of just staring at myself in the mirror and just thinking about myself. And, and I wish that ballet would evolve to an art form that was a bit more inclusive in the sense that we would feel that we are a part of something timely and relevant, something a bit bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pity that ballet kind of requires you to just look at yourself and worry about yourself I don't think that's good for anyone to just worry about yourself I think especially as artists you want to you want to be a part of something that changes lives or or that has something to do with issues happening today and I think ballet is a little bit behind in that so yeah (laughs) no I mean I completely agree with everything you said and I I hope that there might be some change, um, I guess, going forward. Of But I feel like, you know, and I've heard other people say this before, is that ballet is, it's like behind, it's like years behind a lot of other kind of... It is, um, yeah. Industries, even, like, even other dance styles. Um, yeah. There's, and, you know, there's just so much that's ingrained in it that kind of is going to take a long time for people to unlearn or yeah. to hopefully like mm-hmm. avoid learning in the first place um mm-hmm. but we'll see um yeah, I, I actually got oh sorry no no it's okay no 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 you've finished talking it's okay <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that a lot of people uh also jump to the conclusion that that means um that traditions or history shouldn't be respected, which is not true. It doesn't mean that we should get rid of Swan Lake and yeah. stop listening to Tchaikovsky and all of that. It it simply means keeping that tradition and honoring that tradition, but also evolving um, with 
what's happening today. Otherwise, it's just not going to stay relevant and and the audience is not going to, you know, be interested. Yeah. A part of the audience will always be interested in the traditional ballets, but yeah. a big part of the audience also wants to wants to see timely issues and wants yeah. to see an art form that has evolved you know, with yeah. the world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually got this kind of going back to, I guess, the idea of, I, I say leaving ballet, but it's not leaving ballet. It's continuing on with your life on a different yeah. path. Obviously, a lot of people just say, I got a question today and I thought it'd just be kind of good to um, say this because um, someone messaged me basically saying, I'm interested to hear people who no longer dance and how they feel coming out of the other side of it. So for you coming, you know, someone where dance and particularly classical ballet to the point where you're professionally dancing with a company for, you know, nearly 10 years, um, to then leave it was there ever a point where you felt like something was missing or I guess like you're so used to this particular routine um, how did you feel coming out of that and kind of getting used to I say I'm saying normality in inverted commas <laughs> but essentially just you know moving on that's what I mean yeah <laughs> totally um, it was strange at first um, I think with all kinds of change, whether it's positive or negative, there always comes a certain amount of loss. Um, and <laughs> this, in my situation, it meant loss of everything that I knew. I, for my whole life, I had woken up in the morning, mm-hmm. gotten ready to go to ballet, done a bun, put my tights on, taken my point shoes with me, and gone to the studio. And for the first time in my life, I woke up and I was like, hold on a minute. Uh, What do I do now? I don't need to do a bun. I'm not going to a studio. So it was it was very strange. It was also exciting. Um, I was like, I felt like I got another life almost Um, like it was my past life. I got 10 years as a dancer. Now I get to do something completely different and be someone different. Um, I love my mornings now. I, I wake up, I do my, I have my coffee slowly and I do my work, my writing. Uh, so I, of course there was a part of me and there's always a part of me that misses, especially the stage. Mm. I mean, I crave the stage, if not daily, at least weekly, but it's, it's not that kind of longing that makes me sad or that makes me depressed. It's more of like a warm memory and a gratitude of what I got to experience. But I know that for myself, um, it's those rare moments that I had on stage where I felt like I was on top of the world. They weren't worth it for me anymore compared to everything else. They just weren't. And it's totally fine if they, for some people still are, of Mm. course, for everybody, it's different. I'm not saying that you should, of course, stop ballet if you're, if you, um, feel depressed at times that's that's not what I'm saying at all I'm just in in my experience it it was difficult to let go but I I did feel that it was the right thing to do and that I was ready for it and I always I have a um, confidence in myself that I if I feel like I need to go back and I want to go back I always can nothing is definitive if I want to go back to ballet I 
I can do that choice and I can, I still dance for myself and I do class for myself and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with all change comes loss, mm. but I don't know okay. if, if you feel better about it rather than sad, I think it's the right choice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a, I guess, good way of putting it. And I think a lot of, you know, there's a my audience is very mixed in the sense there's a lot of people who were like at the start of their I say professional journey but like they might Mm -hmm. be at school and they're wanting to become professional ballet dancers there's the people who are working and there's also the people that have left I say left I keep saying that that's of I I don't like that like I don't know why I keep saying left transition transition (laughs) into a different career choice yeah Um, so it's interesting and I think that will resonate with a lot of people um and I think this pandemic has also given people a lot of time to think about like what things hold worth like you said um before so I think you know that would be really helpful another thing that was kind of mentioned as well was after transitioning to I guess that unless I don't know but I'm a any you know if you're transitioning to maybe become a writer I'm assuming it's a bit of a less active lifestyle yes it is Um, (laughs) a lot of sitting was that and I don't know what your you know relationship with food or your body was like when you were dancing but kind of did that change did this become you know going into a more sedentary job job did that affect you in that kind of area of what life Um, were you able to I don't know maybe find some acceptance um, and leave I guess this ideal what an ideal ballet dancer should look like behind and Mm. you know just I I don't know if that makes sense but kind of that whole relationship with yourself your body and and how that changed yeah um, that's a great question I have been very open with my eating disorder I had a sort of mixture of bulimia and anorexia for um, since I was 15. And a part of those struggles, I mean, those struggles were part of the reason why I decided to transition. Um, So yeah, I mean, going from working six days a week, you know, from 10 to five and on show days from 10 to 10, basically, to sitting sitting down not having any requirements no one making me do anything Mm. uh it definitely changed the way I view my body and my relationship with food especially with a pandemic um I think we all have a lot more time at home which is something that I was always really afraid of I was afraid of free time because I thought I wouldn't be able to fill my time with with anything and then I would resort to eating to to keep myself occupied or you know we when we're bored it's it's kind of (laughs) there's nothing necessarily wrong with that if if your relationship with that is with food is fine but um so I had to really I I noticed that it was giving me a lot of anxiety at first I was Mm -hmm. I felt that my body's changing and although I didn't know that I mean although I knew that it doesn't necessarily matter anymore and my body doesn't define me or anything Mm -hmm it still bothered me a lot. So I, I had to do a lot of work to kind of get to the point where I 
I have that sort of balance of um, fueling my body, enjoying food, enjoying my family, my friends, having enough uh, food so that my brain works. <laughs> I don't write well when I don't eat. Um, but then also not having myself go over the top with it. I mean, yeah, it was difficult at first. I'm not going to lie, but I think with a lot of self-reflection and did some journaling and I, I went to therapy for, for my eating disorder for a really long time. So it's, it's been a continuous and it still is a continuous um, journey, I guess, to, yeah. to balance and self-acceptance. Mm. Yeah, I think with ballet dancers where, you know, we've been looking at ourselves from mirrors since we were uh, young kids. Yeah. So it's it's never easy to walk past a mirror and not look at it and be like, oh my gosh, ew. But, yeah. Yeah. but um, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's always, I think there's, it's gonna, it's a journey with, with things like that. And it's not saying yeah. that as soon as you transition into a new line of work that all your old worries go away. Um, yeah. So, I thought my old worries would go yeah, away. I you, thought I would yeah. go, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be good. But no, it's, yeah, it def definitely helps me to have a line of work where I know that what I do doesn't um, require, it doesn't, it has nothing to do with my body or how much I weigh. It makes me feel like what I think and how I feel matters and what, what I in, internally uh, process matters. Yeah. So that's, that's a very empowering feeling, I think, to, mm -hmm. to have something. And I think it's important for every dancer to have something to do that doesn't require um, <laughs> your body to look a certain way, yeah. whatever that hobby may be. I think it's yeah. very, very important exactly. to feel um, able to do something with your brain or intellect or emotions or artistry or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it can be very difficult if, you know, your life is kind of only ballet in the sense, you know, if you don't have a lot of balance and you might feel like that's what you need to be mm. like or you need to do yeah. to succeed. But I think it becomes very damaging and, you know, to continue on with only doing something where really your body is kind of the only thing yeah. that matters according yeah to and I think there's a great danger of when when you tie your identity completely yeah. to ballet mm -hmm. if I mean it might be for some people um helpful during the career but then later on with the transitioning I mean you're gonna have to stop dancing professionally at some point and I th mm. think we see with a lot of ballet directors who have been dancers star dancers themselves and they have never had anything else except me, myself, and I in their life, mm. they don't become good directors. <laughs> mm. I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> um, it's, I think it's really important for everyone to, to feel meaningful in some other way as well. And, and also yeah. just for the reason that we never know when it's going to end, you could have a, exactly. an injury the next day that ends your career, hopefully not, but it could happen. So mm. it's, it's important to feel that you are someone without dance as well yeah, because exactly. everyone is. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we didn't come out dancing when we came out of the womb. Like, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, you know what, you know, people were dancing around their room or whatever at young ages 
and but that's not like that's obviously not the same as like being in an environment where that encourages you know all sorts of dodgy behaviors and things that go on for you know years like dance as itself of just enjoying music and moving your body is you know that Sometimes is different far from what yeah. company life is like, very yeah. far from yeah either school or company life yeah. is like for the, you know the majority of professional dancers Definitely. Um, so yeah and I think obviously like when you're transitioning to you know a new line of work like you said you still do bat you still dance because you enjoy it and it's something yeah that it feels good for you um yeah yeah but obviously on my own terms yeah yeah and you do it on your own terms in your own kind of like space like whether it be physical space or like mind space you kind of and you're doing it for you you're not doing it for anyone else and I think that's what's that's really what dancing I guess is originally um but you know yeah ballet becomes very easily your teacher pleasing your director pleasing your choreographer you do easily lose the yeah. main reason why you started dance, which exactly. is yeah. for enjoyment for yourself. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's important to rem- try and remember that if you're in a situ- if you're in that kind of company or school environment and you feel like every, you know, your reason for getting up is for yeah. everyone else. If that makes sense, like your reason for doing well is for your teachers and your directors if you can try and ground yourself back to kind of why you fell in love with it in the first place I mean it's I difficult. That's, that's a great piece of advice yeah I I did that often myself mm-hmm. going back to the reason why and what's important yeah yeah it is like you said it's easier said than done but yeah it is yeah. <laughs> um okay so let's kind of go on to I guess your recent article um in point magazine which i'm sure most of the people listening have read or they've seen i know kind of i mean from your end as the write-up how was when that was published and you know i say the what would you what would you call it like the circle like i don't know the the public's reaction um right how was kind of that for you and I don't know did you get a lot of you know messages people like reaching out to you um I don't know did Point Magazine say oh this is the great article you know this is doing so well I don't know like I always wonder like oh I wonder what it's like on the other side of like yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it was very exciting and overwhelming I got so many messages from dancers uh, professional and uh, students and ex-dancers people who I knew people who I didn't know it was wonderful to get that kind of positive feedback from from that article Um, but it was also quite sad because most of those comments were along the lines of you know I agree I've felt this too I've also been harassed or bullied so it was very bittersweet in a way I wish people would have said no I've never experienced this but yeah unfortunately that was not the case um I felt 
very connected to all my fellow dancers around the world. Um, I felt like this was something important to talk about mm -hmm. and I'm glad I did. And uh, I, I think it started a conversation, which is the most important part. I got got some criticism as well, uh, okay. definitely. Some, some people, happens. yeah, of course. And I mean, I welcome it. It's, mm. I think, uh, constructive criticism and free exchange of ideas, nothing wrong mm. with that. Um, I think uh, the question I want to ask to those who think that um, an empathetic ballet world is a bad thing is what is it going to personally take away from you if the ballet world is more empathetic I don't really get that <laughs> if the if the answer is that it's your it's going to take away your teaching style I think it's about time to change mm -hmm. so yeah I'm glad that it started a conversation I my phone blew up I was getting messages I was overwhelmed I was crying uh, yeah it was mm -hmm. it was a crazy week few weeks um, but yeah, I'm glad I got to go on a couple of podcasts to talk about this stuff. And like I said, it's just keeping the conversation going, which yeah. I'm committed to doing now. So yeah, feeling very grateful still, even yeah. it was like, what, a month ago almost or about, something? I think so. Yeah. around. A yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still yeah. getting messages. So it's very, very exhilarating. <laughs> I'm so yeah. grateful. Yeah. I can imagine. I remember when I read it I was just like I was I guess a lot of it was just like I couldn't kind of believe like how I guess relatable it was if that makes yeah. sense because <laughs> I mean I talked about this a little bit but obviously I don't know how much I can kind of speak about it because about my school um situation like where I trained it get yeah. chained down for like multiple reasons yeah. Yeah. And kind of the things that went on there, I kind of, even at the time, like even when we were in school, a lot of it, you know, it was like, oh, this only happens here. Why is this happening? Yeah. I'm sure this only happens here. And that, you know, would go on for three years, people saying that, dropping that here and there for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it was tiny things like, you know, being having to wear, I don't know, I can't even remember, but like it was like tiny yeah. things or big things that actually were, you know, worry you know you'd kind of worry about what's going on um yeah. and I remember yeah when I first read your article I was just like I yeah I just felt this kind of connection I just was like oh my god wow this is actually like a thing like this is I mean I know <laughs> it's been a thing because obviously I've had this I've been doing this podcast since June and it's definitely opened yeah. my eyes to kind of like I guess some changes that could be made in the industry um, and that our experiences are fairly universal. Um, but yeah, I found it really interesting to kind of hear also from a professional point of view for some, from someone who, you know, had worked in a big company um, and yeah, I, yeah. I think it was great and I think it was good that it was a really good kind of starting point for a conversation um, and I think that has helped kind of people have that conversation more so yeah well I'm, I'm very happy to hear that, that you, felt, <laughs> you felt a sense of connection that's that's my favorite kind of feedback I I was hoping that people would feel seen and heard so mm. 
it's very nice to hear and i'm sorry about all of your um experiences uh, i know <laughs> ballet ballet school is pretty rough uh, <laughs> in many places so yeah. those those traumas can stay with you for for a very long time if not the rest of your life mm. so they're important to address yeah yeah definitely hi everyone i hope you're enjoying the episode so far i have a little gift for you from me and imperfect points um yeah so here's your treat for still listening and i hope you continue to listen um i've got an exclusive offer with you know in collaboration with imperfect points where i'm giving you 15 percent off the entire site i repeat 15 percent off the entire site that's so good such a good deal um and the code for that is hcp15 i repeat hcp15 gives you 15 percent off all you have to do is go to imperfectpoints.com and switch to sustainable dancewear now because come on like we need to do it so go do that they've got so many you know options available for everyone and yeah save yourself some coin love you I kind of want to talk, I guess, like more about some of the points you brought up um, in the article. And, you know, you mentioned when we were talking about pedagogy in yeah. schools, but also companies. Um, I'm just going to get, let's see. Um, where, you know, <laughs> I lost it. Yeah, so basically in schools, how there is little understanding of pedagogy, particularly because, you know, each teacher's bringing in their own experiences from their training. There's kind of not a universal, I guess, way of teaching. There's a lot of things that get missed. There's a lot of things that get said that shouldn't be said. I don't know. What's your, I guess, opinion? What do you think about that? How, you know, could change yeah come about um well in a way it's a difficult uh question to answer because i of course only have uh experience from ballet schools that i have been at and Mm -hmm. from you know what i've heard from friends and and witnessed at competitions and courses and whatnot Mm -hmm. um summer programs and all that Mm-hmm. I think I talked about this with my mom. She's a uh, dance pedagogue herself. She studies okay. uh, embodied learning and dialogical pedagogy. So I, I talked with her about this and and she said that um, perhaps the most important part of, of teaching uh, young children, uh, which is missing in many ballet schools and with many ballet teachers is the dialogue part of it, uh, which is what dialogical pedagogy is. It, it uh, basically means that you make an effort to understand what the student is feeling and what the student needs at this time. So uh, understanding that every student is an individual and the same kind of pattern might not work for everyone. Yeah. Um, I talked about this in my article that for some students, it might work might work very well to push them and to yeah. to be very strong and assertive but for others it might break them and you know i think that a teacher a good teacher takes into account every student as an individual and doesn't just look at one type that fits their idea of what a dancer should be like 
and then the rest are just you know pushed aside and they don't get the same opportunities and the same yeah. attention and they're just kind of stomped on so yeah i think i think it's essential to just allow every student to to be themselves and that doesn't mean that you can't be demanding i, I mean you can be demanding in a way that doesn't require screaming and yelling and bullying and calling students names and yeah. you know you, you don't need all that to be demanding you can be demanding in a kind way and mm. i i'm gonna go on a stretch here uh, to say that that's probably gonna be better for students in the long term to to not call them names and and embarrass them in front of everyone <laughs> yeah no i so, yeah <laughs> you know that that um type of pedagogy that's a lot of ballet teachers use they produce um surely great dancers but it's usually a um two out of 20 in the class mm. what about the rest of the 18 i mean they're also important yeah oh yeah and i think that's something yeah as you're literally saying that i i was thinking of i guess like my my class my graduating class because i remember at one point my teacher you know was saying that oh blah, blah, like this is you know it's tough love and yeah. um but you know yeah sure but also obviously like something wasn't quite working because I mean out of like 25 people there's maybe one if two people left kind of wanting to pursue classical ballet and exactly. at the beginning the majority did go in wanting to pursue classical yeah. ballet as a profession um and it's so sad because I saw multiple people I was very close with or maybe not so close with you know being torn down yeah you know and kind of yeah it's it's sad because you know like you said you know some things do work for some people maybe that kind of tougher experience might work um yeah for some people that's not the way it's going to work and it's, it's kind of interesting and like you just said you know sure we can create two beautiful dancers but and but you know at what cost are we costing the happiness and kind of like life of the other 20 or the yeah. other 18 yeah um to produce two you know amazing professionals while the rest of them kind of or even not just the rest of them everyone might come out with some sort of kind of like issue trauma um, self-esteem um, yeah yeah and it's interesting because I guess only recently and it's kind of since starting that podcast that's something that I've been more aware of like I wasn't even aware of my own traumas when I left yeah. um until kind of having this time to process so yeah it's definitely an interesting kind of conversation and I mean I'm really not sure what's how that's gonna like how that will change but there's definitely yeah. a need for it yeah I think the starting point is to um sort of require ballet teachers to have a bit more than their own experience in in professional ballet I think yeah. I think uh to be a teacher surely that is important but there should also be some some kind of training in uh pedagogy psychology you know <laughs> something like that 
exactly which is kind of missing at the moment in in many ballet schools but yeah I mean the reason I noticed in my experience why I had been told to to be tough and thick-skinned was to endure the bullying in professional life yeah so uh they're both unnecessary Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah how I'm kind of intrigued obviously I mean I've kind of been in like a semi-professional environment and worked in, you know, like alongside a company, but, you know, when you're there for like nine years and I'm sure that's a completely different experience, did, I don't know, I'm intrigued to know, did was that something, I don't know, like the, whether it be bullying or kind of just, I mean, anything, um, did that ever improve as like time went on like I don't know because sometimes people might be might think oh you know if you're new and if you like one of the younger ones that's something you're more likely to experience but you know as you get older that kind I don't know like I'm intrigued to know how that change yeah. could change as you, if you you know were promoted to the next rank um and yeah yeah well when I started I I was one of the very few Finnish dancers who had gotten a contract at FMD in many years. Um, so the director was kind of, uh, I don't know how to say, I guess, excited uh, about me. So I got a lot of opportunities when I joined and I was sent to a competition and I got to do a solo at a like gala event. And I felt like, uh, everything was like given to me with a golden spoon and then I got injured uh (laughs) three months in uh, two stress fractures and I had to obviously be off for several months and I had crutches and all of that and I gained some weight during my sick leave and when I came back the uh, response was very different I was suddenly not casted for anything I was put as a cover uh, I was told to lose weight. Uh, I was told I looked like a pregnant woman, all kinds of lovely things. And then after that, you know, it evolved um, season by season, always depending on how I acted, how I looked, you know, sometimes I would lose more weight and then I would not be given opportunities because I was too skinny and then the other season I wouldn't be given opportunities because I was too soft so yeah it fluctuated throughout those nine years some seasons uh the directors and repetitors were nicer to me and other seasons I was like heir to them so (laughs) it definitely didn't you know become better (laughs) okay that must have been really like I can imagine that being very difficult because that I mean obviously you know you your weight isn't what you know your worth is right but if you're in an environment where that is kind of it's almost like your weight and your body is the thing that's been like the decider for whether you get cast or not yeah and that happening you know like you said fluctuating and changing like every yeah. season that that must have been very difficult yeah uh, <laughs> yeah oh my god like literally I like I relate to that on one level but like and you know like it that was when I was at school 
and you know like coming same with you like coming back from injury yeah um, before my injury I felt you know I felt respected by my teachers I felt liked by my teachers um it's kind of you know decent um yeah. and then after I came back I mean they still respected me but I felt that kind of maybe hope that they had of me that kind of you know when you know a teacher might be like oh you know like I believe in this yeah. person I felt like that belief had kind of yeah, yeah. Um, you feel like you're a disappointment yeah I felt like I was a dis- yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so that was interesting but and I'm sure that's you know so many dancers I get messages all, all the time actually and something that I'm going to be you know we can talk actually I'll bring this up now because I think it'll be good to have it from someone else as well sure. um let me just find it. It was essentially, you know, like when you're coming back from an injury, kind of knowing that you've gained a bit of weight, I guess, like coping with yeah. that. Um, it's difficult, but it is. let me just find the exact. Sure, point. sure. Okay. Um, okay, dealing with having to gain weight um, and fear of judgment. Um and you know whether that be coming from an injury or a holidays or like for a lot of people you know lockdown maybe um and yeah I guess that sure you know and the things I mean I definitely didn't deal with those uh situations in the best way when I was dancing professionally I went into full restriction mode uh self-hatred I need to lose 10 kilos in a week mode um but don't do that no yeah so I didn't I didn't have any healthy coping habits back okay. then mm-hmm. uh I don't know I've never experienced a healthy way to come back from a situation like that from from uh, injury or from from lockdown mm-hmm. or from holiday for me those were always very uh full of you know like I said self-hatred and like okay. panic almost I don't know. I, I think that, uh, again, you know, having, having a strong self, self sense of self-esteem, mm-hmm. uh, and knowing that your worth isn't tied to, um, what the scale says, knowing that you're valued and important for the people that matter, no matter what, and perhaps having some kind of support system, whether that's friends or family or a therapist or even a coach or a teacher, if they're, you know, that if you have a relationship like that with them, just to kind of cipher through it and have someone to talk to. And yeah, I think it's important uh, to uh, approach that kind of situation with a healthy mindset in terms of what you're going to do with exercise and food, not to go into something crazy that's just going to hurt your metabolism and just make everything worse. You know, to just allowing yourself time and being kind to yourself, understanding that this is momentary. You might not be in the best possible shape of your lifetime right now, but it doesn't mean that you will ever be. It doesn't mean that this is forever. Mm-hmm. Just kind of give yourself a little breather injuries are difficult and lockdowns and pandemics are difficult (laughs) so allow a little bit of 
kindness into your into your life yeah definitely I think that's great and it's you know and it's it is difficult it's really you know obviously all this is definitely a lot easier said than done like I'm you know saying I'm not expecting anyone to be able to like fully find acceptance and kind of love themselves like you know straight away in like a day because stuff like that is definitely a journey um and it's something you have to work on and you know I yeah I don't really I don't know what else to say about yeah. it it's, yeah um, definitely I mean it's, I've thought a lot about um loving your your body since I since I stopped and it's it's interesting because I came across um, the difference between body positivity and body neutrality, which basically I'm sure, you know, body positivity is about loving your body, no matter what body neutrality, on the other hand, is sort of not focusing on your body, loving yourself um, because of what you think or can do or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's really difficult to achieve in ballet body Mm. neutrality, because basically your uh, worth Mm-hmm. your technique and what you can do and how you can dance is very much tied to what your body can do yeah. but I think if you can uh if someone is struggling with that perhaps trying to switch it from uh what your body looks like while doing it versus what your body can do uh could be helpful although that's hard as well because <laughs> what it looks like is also important you know if you do 32 foot days but they don't look nice yeah eat so yeah it's it's a really difficult equation with with ballet and any any kind of aesthetic art form you know gymnastics and figure skating and all of that yeah so I think a support system is very very important to have yeah exactly and I think it's just I guess another thing that's kind of important to remember for those you know maybe you know listening who um you know are trying to go get through this or go through this kind of journey um and I say this all the time but you really can't compare yourself like to other people to dancers in your class um and it's so easy you know when you're in an environment where you are with people for like 10 hours a day I don't know like with your peers or your um, co-workers and you might all be eating together um or you're kind of like with people it's so easy to compare your habits your like routine like everything it's so easy to kind of focus on like I guess the external factors um just focus on everything but yourself um but yeah yeah. I think it also happens easily that you compare your sort of career path Mm. with other people and I noticed there was a time that I was very jealous of a a new dancer who got you know to do main roles her first season and I was extremely extremely jealous of her and just basically wanted to be her and after one and a half years she got an injury that basically like that was it so Yeah. yeah so it's you never know maybe there's a dancer who at 20 years old danced Nikia and at 27 years old maybe she maybe she wants to stop maybe maybe she has an injury so you never know it's it's just um useless to compare not that you can't be inspired by but to like have that kind of negative 
fussy and and like I'm not as good as her or all that kind of stuff is just it's just useless because you never know what people are going through and you never know what's going to happen in the future everybody's career path is different maybe somebody blossoms at 20 years old maybe somebody blossoms at 35 so yeah yeah you can never tell and I don't know like I always think about this when I don't know maybe when you're and I think this uh, I'll be intrigued to you know just see what you think um and I guess hopefully this is helpful for the listeners but Mm -hmm. I have this thought sometimes when you know maybe if I'm questioning something or if I see someone else questioning something I came up with this analogy but I actually don't know if I came up with it but I was just thinking about (laughs) it when I was going to bed one night um is it like essentially like I like to think of life as like a path it can be anywhere um but you can't see any further than like literally your nose like you can't see yeah. like if you're to, you'd only you only see what's going to happen when you take that step right when you yeah. take the step um and so oh, I, I don't nice. know like it's I like, like interesting it. <laughs> but I I always yeah. think about it's like if you're not sure you know when you might feel like oh I'm not going to you know pursue this further or I I want to change direction and you know the path changes direction that's fine but it's like if you decide to stop something so say like for like the way I think about it is like you know obviously um like this pandemic's been difficult like I have I've been trying to get work I've been emailing companies I've been I've got jobs that have fell through and it's been difficult but the way I think about it is like I'm not stopping now because I don't know what the future holds if I keep taking a few more steps like I don't know where you know I might take a step and then that's you know then an email comes one day saying yeah then I've got something so like the way and I know that's just like really random but could be anything you know you could be learning something new and you're like oh this doesn't seem to be working out I'm gonna stop but don't stop like obviously we all have our you know if something's not making you happy anymore and it's causing more pain than happiness then you know you can take a step to the side or the other side but don't you don't need to stop completely because you don't know what's going to be ahead of you you don't know what the future holds in that sense that's essentially what it is I just like that little I think that's a great analogy yeah (laughs) keep stepping forward yeah or sideways or Or sideways anywhere just don't don't stop (laughs) yeah don't stop um yeah because you don't know what's going to be in front of you yeah Um, yeah I just thought I was kind of like you know I guess nice because I know people will be you know this time has given a lot of time to people to question absolutely this is a really rough time yeah Yeah. and yes I guess it's been difficult um (laughs) is there anything else you know that you might have on your notes or anything that you want to kind of like speak on before are you Um, are we kind of good to I mean I think we I think we covered some really some really great topics and I I really really enjoyed this conversation yeah talking with you and I'm super grateful for yet again being able to keep the conversation going as I said I think that's essential for for this moment um yeah for for anyone who's struggling with the pandemic times um you're not alone it's yeah. yeah be kind to yourself this is this is a difficult time you know we're in a situation that we don't really know when it's going to end and what's going to happen after and 
it's all very scary. So yeah, yeah exactly. Patience and kindness. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation too. And I hope everyone listening has enjoyed it, you know, got something out of it. I hope it's, you know, provided some comfort, maybe some education, some thoughts, whatever. Um, but before we wrap up, where can the listeners find you, Suvi, if they want Ooh. to? Um, well, I am on Instagram, not very active on there, but uh, I am on there. Uh, <laughs> um, and I write on Medium uh, weekly. It's an online publication. Okay. I write for a couple different publications there. Um, and I'm actually taking over a monthly newsletter of a publication called An Injustice. I'm going to be talking about arts and creativity and its place in society and the modern mm -hmm. world. So, yeah, that I guess great. if do you have like all the yeah, stuff, I have a description. Cool, so I don't have to start spelling could, out. No, no yeah. don't you have to worry. I Perfect. Put it all in there. <laughs> so, you know, listeners, if you want to read more of Suvi's work, you can. There's multiple, you know, websites yeah. media platforms that you can listen uh, yeah well, read her stuff yeah um, and kind of you know yeah delve into more of her work um yeah. and also you know i'm sure if they have any questions they can dm you if they've totally totally yeah absolutely okay. i'm i'm happy to to talk with anyone who who would like <laughs> yeah yeah okay if great. anyone needs a free therapy session i'm here <laughs> <laughs> i love it um okay great thank you so much suvi for thank coming you. on and thank you so much for having yeah, me it was great to chat and listen yeah. so you can hear me next week so yeah make sure to share this episode um subscribe to apple podcast do what you need to do and give it a five star rating yeah give it a size exactly <laughs> okay thank you so much thank you and we will finish this episode here Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>